Welcome to the Rooted and Reaching podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. At First Baptist Church, our vision is to be people deeply rooted in the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, who then reach out into our neighborhood, city, and the world as we live and share the good news. Here is this week's Rooted and Reaching message from FBC Charlottetown. So as I said during uh, host moment, we are continuing in this series. Uh, this is part two of 40 Days of Renewal. And in this series, and it's going to run us right up to Easter, of course, the season of Lent, we're, we're on this epic journey. We're, we're talking about this epic journey of faith that God has placed each and every person on. Specifically throughout these weeks, we're going to be talking about some things, baggage, if you will, that need to be left behind, left at the foot of the cross, journeyed away from. These are things that prevent our discipleship. But we also want to talk about some of those spirit-led goals and disciplines that we ought to be moving towards in the Spirit of God and ultimately adopting as we're being renewed, as we're being reshaped through the work of the Holy Spirit within us. Lent is this epic, larger-than-life journey all the way to the cross. And this series is focusing on the important aspects of that journey. This week, I want us to look together at the New Testament book of Philippians. We're going to be in chapter 3 of Philippians. This is a letter that's authored by the Apostle Paul. He's addressing uh, believers in the Roman colony of Philippi. Now, the main reason that he's writing is that this is a thank you note. He's mainly writing to thank them for the gift that they sent to him when they learned that he'd been imprisoned. But, you know, he's already writing... So might as well just include a couple of other things while we're going here. And these couple of other things that Paul wants to include include things like a call to unity, a call to humility, and not just a call to those things, but a call to model those things, to be examples of unity and humility, regardless of the difficult circumstances that they've faced. Maybe they are facing them now, maybe they have faced them in the past, or no doubt, as humans, will face them at some point. So Paul is, in this way, he's urging the church to just stay the course of faith. Just, just keep running, just keep going. Carry your, if we go back to last week, your figurative cross, journey toward the reward that is waiting for you. And, and, and as you do make that journey... Don't get sidetracked by the things around you that may be plaguing you or, or distracting you. Don't look back. And where we pick up the text is in chapter 3 of Philippians, uh, verse 12. And Paul is actually, as he does quite often, uses his own uh, story, his own journey, as uh, an example of what he wants to say to the church, how he wants them to stay the course on their journey of faith. He couches his plea to them within the context of a foot race, a foot race. And after explaining how he has contended for the gospel in, in earlier chapters here against opposition within the Christian community, how he was able to get through that, but not only that, much more because he knew all along what it was he was journeying towards. He writes this, picking up at verse 12. 
Not that I've already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. When I read just those few verses, I see three things that the apostle seems to be saying with these verses. One, he's defining the goal of his life. It's the same goal for every follower of Christ. Second, Paul, in just these few words, is making it clear, yeah, I'm not there yet. There is a goal But I haven't reached it yet. I'm not at the finish line yet. But with his third point, he expresses his chief concern that he wants to arrive at that goal. And so in the meantime, until then, he's just going to focus on things that move him forward in his faith journey in pursuit of that ultimate goal. And I don't know if you picked up on how specifically he expressed each of these important elements. Verse 13 Paul does it by talking about not what's behind him, but what he's straining towards. Straining ahead in this faith journey that he's on, describing the goal or the prize that he's after. And as I say, he's he's using the image of a race. I'm going to think this morning about an an Olympic 10,000 meter race. There is no chance ever in the world I will ever run one of those myself, of course. So let's just talk about it. 10,000 meter Olympic race. The goal in any Olympic race is self-evident. Okay, it's, it's from a competitive standpoint, it's to win. It's to cross the finish line first. But from a purely athletic standpoint, the goal might be different than that. The goal might just be about pushing yourself farther than you've gone before. Achieving something you haven't achieved before. Maybe a best personal best time. Maybe to finish somewhere on the podium <laughs> might be your goal. Sometimes the goal is simply to say, I finished. I finished the race. I got across the finish line. This is my friend Tom. Tom was in my youth group at the first church where I ever pastored. Um, we've remained close ever since. Paul just became a dad. Uh, Tom just became a dad a couple of weeks ago. In this pic, he and I have just finished running a 5K race. I won't say we ran it together. Tom is younger than I am. Tom definitely finished well ahead of me in the pack. I was nowhere near the front of the pack. In fact, by the time I finished the race, the one who had won the race, they were in their car and had driven halfway home. Before Dean came across the finish line going, I did it. I finished. But that was the goal. That was the point. I finished. I finished the race. The 10,000-meter Olympic race, in that race, each runner has their own lane. Okay? Let's think back to sort of the track. I'm going to come back to this thought in a moment. But with each lap in that lane, the runners are straining ahead, having left the starting blocks way behind them, running with all that they have 
continually moving forward in their lane toward the finish line. But there's never going to be a finish line if they refuse to run. If they just continue to stand in the blocks back at the beginning. There's no finish line with that. There's no finish line if you just sort of go like, yeah, okay, well, I'm just going to walk this. Not in an Olympic 10,000. You can't wolf down three Big Macs and run a 10,000-meter Olympic race. Not with any effectiveness. You can't run that race looking around, trying to find mom and dad up in the stands while you're running. You're not going to finish. You're not going to finish well. You can't run an Olympic race if you're sitting in the stands. Right? You've got to, a serious Olympic runner is going to be committed enough to have done the proper training, to got out of their comfy seats in the bleachers, to go down onto the track, to be prepared in advance, and to run full out when the race begins. And these exact truths, I think, describe the race of faith. So if renewal in Jesus is truly what uh, we seek, and in the end, God's eternal prize is really what we're running towards as believers, we should learn from Paul's description here about himself and the way that he expresses how he, he knows the eternal goal. He knows he hasn't attained it yet. So in the strength of God's own spirit, he just keeps running, just keeps running the race to attain the prize that he is convinced is awaiting him. And so that the Philippian believers, and, and we who are reading this, don't get lost in all of this race imagery and miss the broader theological point, in verse 14, that's where Paul makes it abundantly clear. He explains what he's running the race for. The prize that awaits him and all who maintain forward movement in their faith journey, step by step, day by day, straining ahead to the best of their ability, it's not some woven olive wreath like the winner would have gotten in Paul's day for having run the, the foot race. The prize is the heavenward call of God because of Jesus Christ. That that is the prize that awaits the devoted Christ follower who diligently runs their race. And I believe all heaven cheers when we cross that finish line. God's voice saying to you, you made it. You made it. You finished. You ran the race set before you and you finished it. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now, earlier I mentioned how everyone in the race has their own lane. I, I want to park on this just a little bit this morning. This is important to keep in mind. When it comes to me running my journey track, I need to only be concerned with the lane that I'm in. The race that I'm running. It's not that I don't care about the other runners around me, but, but if I'm distracted looking at their race... I'm not paying attention to running a straight line in mine. If I'm looking at your lane and giving you tips in the middle of the race of how you should run faster and how you might run better, and have you tried this in training, Patrick? I'm not paying attention to the race that I'm running. 
If I'm looking at your lane going, I wish my lane was as nice as his lane. My lane's junk compared to his lane. Wish I, how come I didn't get that lane, God? I'm not running my race. I wish I could run like you do. I wish I could train like you do. I got to stick to my lane. And to be even more pointed, because we are talking about a faith journey here, if I'm in my lane and I'm looking and I'm going, I wish I could pray like you. Mm. I wish I knew the Bible like you do. I wish I could serve the way I see you serving or live the way I see you living. None of those things are actually spiritually helpful to me because when the finish, uh, for when the finish line does come. Because God is not going to say, so how'd it go in the other lane? Right? He's going to ask, how did it go in your lane? I'm going to judge you on what you did in your lane and they will be judged on what happens in their lane. Followers of Christ that are being renewed, running a race of faith, the kind that Paul is talking about here, in Christ we're running for the same prize. But our lanes are uniquely different. Our lanes are tailor-made for us by God to the extent that it is not even possible for me to run in Patrick's lane. That's Patrick's lane. And Patrick can't run in mine. God designed them, tailor-made them for each one of us to run in uniquely and specifically. Now, of course, when we're running, we should be encouraging one another. Come on, man, you can do it. Come on, let's keep up. Let's go, let's go. We can do this together. I'll cross the line with you. Come on, man, you can make it. We should be doing that along the way. But we need to do that sticking to our own lane, minding our own lanes. But let's go back to Paul's words to the Philippians. Consider for a moment what Paul has left behind in order to run the particular race of faith that he's talking about. What did he leave behind? Paul the persecutor. Paul who stood by while the disciple Stephen was murdered. Held their coats for them. Paul the religious legalist who studied under renowned teachers legalist nonetheless. Paul the socially well-connected. Paul the proud. Paul the arrogant. His particular lane of faith that he's running in has taken him far, far away from who he was back at the starting blocks. And as the race is coming to nearing its conclusion for him, he is a much different runner than he was at the beginning. As the race went on, he was renewed, transformed. He became Paul the humbled, Paul the afflicted, Paul the beaten, Paul the imprisoned, the lashed, the whipped, the chained, the ignored. And evidently, at this stage of his race, Paul seems like he could not be happier about it. He's confident in the prize that's awaiting him as a result. And I find it so moving when we look into the Gospels. We know what the Lord Jesus strained towards on his journey. The cross. The instrument by which he died. That's what awaited him at the end of his earthly journey. And he knew it was coming. And he kept moving forward. He kept running the race for which God had called him. 
in this letter to the Philippians, and we've just read a few verses, Paul talks about what he's straining towards, despite the hardships that he's faced along the way. And so, and so what about us? What about you and me? In light of Paul's example, in light of Christ's sacrifice, what are each of us honestly, earnestly straining towards? And just as important to consider, what must we decidedly leave behind us in the process? Last Sunday, if you were here, you may recall I made some mention of the baggage. Some of us may need to leave behind to truly adopt this new way in Christ and to each run our own race of faith. You might recall I asked if there might be a habit in your life that's counterproductive to being shaped in the way of Jesus. Maybe you have an anger problem or a jealousy issue, for example. Maybe it's, maybe it's a way of thinking, you know, about yourself or about others. Maybe you need to stop carrying around that way of thinking in order to run your race. I've numerous times encountered people who they just simply feel unusable by God. They somehow feel like they're already disqualified from the race of faith before they've even started because of mistakes made back there, actions taken back there, decisions once chosen back there, justifications offered back there. Hear me say again, as I said last week, that no one who is willing to come humbly to Jesus and to run the race of faith that Paul is talking about, the one who is willing to undergo the spiritual training that goes along with running that race will be disqualified from the journey. As I said somewhat yesterday morning when we gathered, if the requirement to run the race was that all of the runners had to first be sin-free and totally have their life in order, that would be a 100% empty running track. I also mentioned last week that for some of us, there are idols in our lives that have to be torn down. Things that we need to get out of the way in order to run unhindered toward Jesus. There's no value in running the race if there's something that you already prize more than what's awaiting at the end, what's the point? So perhaps there's an idol that needs to be torn down. Some idolize themselves. Their reputations, you know, their knowledge, their public notoriety. Paul, the apostle, once bowed to the idol of self-righteousness. For others, the idol is possessions, material wealth. So true, so true spiritual transformation uh, in these or any other area only happen when we allow God to renew our minds, to allow us, to enable us to die every day to everything that is temporary or temporal and instead to embrace new life and prioritize following Christ in and through all things. And if I can say that there's one enormous area here in the West, in North America, where we struggle when it comes to straining forward in the race that we're running, it's material wealth. 
In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus, way before Paul did the same thing, taught about this prize in heaven at the end of our race. And he compares it to, uh, and he highlights the danger of prizing something on earth more than that thing that awaits us. In Matthew 6, verses 19 to 24, Jesus says, there are two potential prizes, and every person has to choose one. Matthew 6, 19 to 24. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Sadly, when we bind our hopes and our goals to earthly, temporary things, we're actually binding our own hearts to those same temporary things. If the most, if the most that I can hope for to be gained ever can be found in this life on earth, what would ever attract me to an eternal life somewhere else. If I'm wholly satisfied right where I am, why would I care? If I can really live my best life now, like that garbage self-help book says, why would I need to await eternal life? Like, I'm really happy with my life right now, church. Like, I... I really am happy with my life right now. But as a Christian, this is nowhere near my best life. My best life is waiting. Further to that, what does Jesus say here about what will happen to the treasures that I store up and I prize during my time on earth? What's going to happen to my home? What's going to happen to my car? My sad, sad, sad motorcycle. I covet your prayers, church. I do. My legacy, my reputation, what's going to happen to all of that? What's going to happen, you know, to those, all those little brass plaques with my name inscribed on them because I did cool stuff? What's going to happen to all of that stuff? What's going to happen to all the money that I socked away in my own personal little RSP treasure chest? What about the antique radios on the top shelf of my office? What's going to happen to them? What's going to happen to my record collection at home? One day I'm going to draw my last breath in anticipation of my race finishing. And I'm going to see the face of Jesus at the finish line. I'm confident in that. And so what happens to everything I stored up on earth when that happens? As, as, I, as I read these verses from Jesus, moth 
and Rust and Value Village are going to get all my stuff. <laughs> and then what? If that's where all my hope was, then what? If material wealth was my master in life, or if, Jesus warns, if I somehow fooled myself into thinking that I could be satisfied by both material wealth and God in equal measure, I'm in trouble in that moment. Because Jesus says it can't be done. God and wealth cannot both be the prize for which we run our race. And, you know, like it's only in North America... Could the evangelical church be convinced that material prosperity is what God wants for us? Considering what Jesus just said in Matthew 6. Try and sell right now the prosperity gospel in the Ukraine. Or somewhere else where people are living hand to mouth. Tell them that it's only when you have lots of stuff that God really loves you and blesses you. Try and sell that there. Tell them they're living their best life now. Personally, let me just add and answer the question about my stuff. (laughs) All the stuff that I've materially collected in this life, moth-ridden, rusty, in a bin somewhere, when my race is over, my response is awesome. Great. Who cares? When my race is done, thanks to Jesus, I believe by faith I'm going to be in the glorious presence of Almighty God. I'm going to be praising Him. I'm going to be worshiping Him forever because that's the prize that's awaiting we who choose God over everything and anything else and who run our race straight through to the finish line earnestly and faithfully. Church, if I'm seeing the face of Jesus... Do you think I really care what you do with my Beatles 45s at that moment? Not one bit. I highly doubt I'm going to be concerned about any of that. Because between God and stuff, I've already chosen God. So why is this important? Why is this important when it comes to this 40-day spiritual renewal on this journey that we're talking about? It's because the race of faith is a deadly serious one. Jesus has already declared it to be the equivalent of taking up your cross daily and carrying it wherever you go. Our respective races in our respective lanes have eternal consequences, which means I got to be serious about my training as a disciple, and I got to be serious about my willingness and regard to become more like Jesus along the race route. Number two, it's important because it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Discipleship is a journey of renewal that changes us from who we are at the start of the race into something new by the end of the race, all because of Jesus. Step by step, lap by lap, we move toward that prize, and at the same time, we move away from anything that hinders our spiritual renewal process. Number three, it's trading darkness for light. The light of Christ shines brighter and brighter from within us as we unload our individual baggage at the foot of the cross. Anything that serves to weigh us down and hold us back in our journey is baggage we need to drop at the foot of the cross and, this is important, not pick back up again. Finally, there's only one prize that we can run towards. 
We can, of course, choose to pursue material wealth and earthly honors and all of that for all that Jesus says that's going to amount to. Or we can choose to pursue the will of God and the everlasting prize that's promised us by God. We can't serve both. and We can't prize both. Every single one of us has to pick one or the other as the prize we're running towards. As the worship team comes back forward, let me say this. Today, if you aren't yet in the race, I invite you this morning to start. Start by praying, asking Jesus to be your Savior, to be your Lord, to permit the rest of this church to cheer you on and to run alongside you as you eventually cross that finish line of faith. If you feel like, well, I'm running the race, I just don't think I'm covering the sort of spiritual ground I want to. Maybe consider looking closely at our journey track here at FBC. See how you might pick up the pace of the spiritual renewal that Christ wants for your life. Finally, if you've been running the race, if you realize the ground that you've covered, if you've kept the prize that God has promised front of mind, good on you, but keep running. Keep going. You're not done yet. If you're sitting here hearing this talking head, still going. You're not done yet. You're not done being renewed by Jesus yet. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, you can make it to the finish line, spiritually strong and joyful. And when it comes to your race, when it comes to my race, know that Jesus believes in us. Even now, he's advocating for us. He's promised to make a place for us that we'll arrive at one day when we have finished the race and entered into eternal life. And so to him, be all glory, honor, and praise today and every day. Amen. You've been listening to the Rooted and Reaching podcast, a weekly ministry of First Baptist Church in Charlottetown, PEI, Canada. Our theme music is inspired by Ben Sound. For more information or to support the ministries of FBC Charlottetown, please visit our website, myfbc.ca, today. If you found the content of today's podcast encouraging, please be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcast and drop us a comment. In addition, consider sharing today's Rooted and Reaching podcast with at least one other person this week who might be blessed through it or become better biblically rooted through it. Until next time, thank you for listening.